0: Joy is very different. Joy is an embodied experience. Joy draws on the same deep well as our pain. Happiness is by definition binary, and if we're happy, we're not in pain, we're happy. But joy can live right next to pain and actually gets bigger the more we meet our pain.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Superwoman Wellness. I'm Dr. Taz. I've made it my mission throughout my career in integrative medicine to support women and restoring their health using a blend of Eastern medical wisdom with modern science. In this show, I will guide you through different practices to find your power type and fully embody the healthiest and most passionate version of you. I'm here for you and I can't wait to get started. This is a Soulfire production. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Superwoman Wellness, where you know I am determined to bring us all back to our superpowered self. And I couldn't be happier about this next guest. I actually went to school with her. We did the fellowship in integrative medicine together 15 years ago. Good grief. I think I was pregnant for both years of that fellowship. That's why my kids are 15 months apart, but I don't think I've talked to her since. I can't wait to reconnect with her and introduce her to all of you. Guys, please welcome Thanmeet Sethi. She is a physician and MD. She's a board certified integrative family medicine physician and a clinical associate professor at the University of Washington School of Medicine. She spent the last 25 years on the front lines practicing primary care, working on global trauma and community activism. She has devoted her career to caring for the most vulnerable and teaching our fellow physicians how to care for these communities in the most humane and skillful way possible. She's a speaker and TEDx talker and has offered a radical way to practice gratitude. She lives in Seattle with her family, and I'm so happy to see you again. How are you?
0: Oh my gosh, I'm thrilled to be talking to you. It's been way too long it's and too this long. is so exciting. I also think it's just a monumental sort of moment to note that, you know, two South Asian women in medicine really trying to blaze trails that were not shown to us and so I just want to sort of honor that right now. It just came to me and I think that's a big deal. I
1: think it's huge, right? Because we're raised typically in a very traditional conservative way and not really given I think a lot of space to flex our minds or be creative or go off a beaten path. And I think you and I both did that. We're like, (laughs) screw this. We're doing this instead. So I think I agree with you. I couldn't be prouder of, you know, what we've both done over the years and just of our community as well. But I want to learn more about your journey. I want to learn more about what inspired you. Like I have my own stories of what I've seen in practice and I talk about it a lot. And you know, it really is. My practice is really is sort of ground zero for a lot of what I speak and write about and see. Right. And I feel like I learn something every single day. It's been 14 years, but I still learn something every single day, but I would love to know what your journey has been after we left and where that has led you and kind of led you to writing a book. So tell me a little bit about you, fill me in and all of you listening get to like literally sit in on two old friends catching up. That's what this
0: is. Well, I am. Yeah, I'm super excited. I have a new book coming out called joy is my justice. And that comes out May 2nd with Hachette and, It really is the culmination of my life's work. And what it is, is really looking at how joy is not a healing destination or something we have to strive for or a commodity, but how it's an innate human right and a liberation practice and how it may be the truest justice we'll ever know, especially when we have incurable suffering or trauma or oppression that may be plaguing our lives. And what I realized Is that I really was on the front lines with the most marginalized communities because I didn't realize this till later, that I never really felt safe in my Mm. body. I never really felt safe in my life and really a lot of racism and not belonging and feeling disconnected and kind of traveling between two cultures and never knowing where to end up. And there was a way that I think I thought that if I made the world safer and fought for justice for all of us, that I would feel safer too, right? I think it's a pretty plausible, realistic thought. Interesting. And then- a lot of, as you know, a lot of work that we do in the exam room, although people come to me for thyroid issues and all mm-hmm. these chronic illnesses and integrative consultations, what they're really managing is this disconnection and sort of lack of meaning in their lives and feeling lost. Very much, And yeah. so that was a lot of what I was also doing one-on-one. And then in my own life, which this was when we were in fellowship together, my second child was diagnosed with a fatal illness called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Oh, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, and there was a moment of sort of reckoning. Like I had fought for justice my whole career, and and really had fought on the front lines and in the courtrooms and the exam rooms, and now there was this fight that there was no way to win. Mm. You know, and it was a moment of. I know I can get through this, but how do I thrive? Mm -hmm. How do I actually find joy? And how do I make that a practice that I keep touching day in, day out? And so really my professional and personal lives started to come together in that way. And here's where I am. And so this book felt very potent and urgent for me to write. And yeah, it's been a healing journey.
1: Oh my goodness. I want to learn more about it. You know, you were asking me about kind of the years since fellowship and what's transpired and, and like, you know, the practice we've created, which is its own, you know, its own beast, bear place of joy at times, you know, Yeah. but, but what I learned that journey for me over the years has been, you know, one thing about running a company and anyone who's an entrepreneur or businesswoman probably understands this is that in the beginning years, it was like, if I just get to this point person benchmark thing, It's all gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be okay. It's gonna run super smoothly and I'm gonna be happy and you know, we won't have any more issues. So I would stay up all night, like problem-solving issues. My team still makes fun of me to this day because the kids were little then. So emails would go out at like two and three o'clock in the morning, and they're like, Oh my god, here we go, 3 a.m. emails, you know, all that other business. And it took a really long time for me to understand. It's it's been a 14, 15 year journey. Probably only in the last five, I would say that I understood that joy and happiness is not a destination. It's not like if I am perfect, if I do X, Y, Z, if I work extra hard, if I make three lists and cross everything off all three of those lists, everything's (laughs) going to be just fine. You know, it's taken me some maturity and time to understand that there's a fire every day, that nothing works without hiccups or so smoothly you know, I am going to ruffle feathers, but being joyful through this journey of doing the work that I love to do is my choice, you know, and I have to tap into that. And I'm assuming that's a little bit of what mm-hmm. you're talking about. How did you arrive at that? And what, how do you translate that to others? Because that seems to be an issue too. So I'll let you yeah. take it from there.
0: <laughs> Those are big, we could do a few different podcasts on that question, right? right? (laughs) Well, that's really what the book's about, because first I want to touch on something you said, which was about joy and happiness. What I really break down is how I believe, and it's my truth, people can take it or leave it, but I think joy and happiness are actually very different. I will welcome happiness any day of the week. I'm ready for it. But happiness is a cognitive evaluation. It's an attachment to outcome. It's not a bad thing, but it's kind of dependent, as you said, on if this gets done, do I get here? Do I get that? And then it can feel really happy. I mean, it can feel so good, right? But joy is very different. Joy is an embodied experience. Joy draws on the same deep well as our pain. Happiness Hmm. is by definition binary. And if we're happy, we're not in pain, we're happy. But joy can live right next to pain and actually gets bigger the more we meet our pain. And it draws on that same capacity that pain does for meaning and love. And there's a way that when we learn how to step into our body and tap into joy, that we understand not only is it not a destination, but it's a way to hold all the hard. And so there's a real difference between the two for me. And that's what I really break down in the beginning and then show the practices to really tap into joy. How did you arrive at this though?
1: (laughs) Like you're working with people in the exam room, you're an activist. So how are you,
0: what are you saying that brought you to this sort of point? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it wasn't instantaneous, right? It's a process. And so what it really was is this ongoing life process of realizing that, Life seems really unfair most of the time. Let's face it. Okay. It just feels like we're not. I mean, it, from little things like being stuck in traffic to, you know, my son's diagnosis or people getting a cancer diagnosis or whatever it be, poverty, we could go on and on. And it feels really unfair. And so it can start to feel like the world is against you, that justice can never be had. Mm-hmm. And really, it was this ongoing process of understanding that the more free, the more liberated and free and safe. I want to underscore that word because what our nervous system does is kind of tell us we're not safe when we have a a pain or a trauma and recovering that safety in our body. All of that is a liberation practice. That's joy. Mm. And I started to realize that actually I was the only one who could give myself that. Mm. That wasn't going to come from the world. In fact, In a way, the older we get, the more it seems like it keeps getting unfair because things start, you know, accumulating. But it's really that joy became this understanding for me that nobody had to give it to me or show it to me. It was my human right to find it. And some of it was in these ways, you know, we're in this uh, world of integrative medicine, people, you know, meditate, think well, all this stuff. And, you know, I, I do all of that, but I tried all of that. That wasn't actually getting me fully to joy. And so I had to figure out how to deepen that into my body and understand that it wasn't about me thinking positive. I actually don't believe that that's all of it. And I don't think you can think yourself positively out of suffering and mm-hmm. poverty and oppression, but it was about understanding that I don't deserve this pain. None of my patients deserve their pain, but we all deserve to have joy right alongside it. And it became this liberation practice.
1: Oh, I love it. I'm getting chills as you're saying that, but how I'm thinking about the patient. I'm thinking about me. How do we get there? How do we access that? How do we, you know, I think we've all been in that position of like, okay, I'm going to manifest. I'm going to have a positive mindset. I'm putting affirmations up on the mirror, you know, like I'm beautiful. I'm smart. I'm this, I'm that. I have everything I need. I have my gratitude prayers, gratitude journals, the how. Do we undo generations of negative wiring, right? Of like past traumas, all that other stuff. How do you undo that kind of comfort zone that the brain wants to go to, to feel safe and to feel protected and to put their guard up and make sure nothing bad's going to happen? How do we undo all of that? Yeah. Well, that's a whole book, but <laughs> well, you've got five minutes. i so- Yeah, <laughs> just kidding.
0: <laughs> but I think first I want to underscore, I think it's different for everyone. right? And so what I do in this book is really show you a roadmap that then you mold to yourself. Okay. I don't think that everybody uses the same exact tools, but all of them have one thing in common, which is that they all involve us really stepping into our body more and out of our mind really Mm. feeling what we feel instead of thinking what we think. Mm -hmm. And so getting into your body means many different things. What happens when we meet our pain in our body and really get in there? I'm going to give you a practical example in a second, because I know it's hard to understand when there's so many ways. But what happens is we actually stimulate neurochemicals. We stimulate our biochemistry and our physiology to tell our fear centers to dampen down, that we're safe, we're okay we re-engage our prefrontal cortex and actually give ourselves clarity. Our parts of our prefrontal cortex that actually are able to assign meaning to our pain get activated. So we actually start empowering our body to translate what's happening in our lives. Now, when you think about that, that's a really powerful thing because Mm -hmm. it's not about seeing our life differently. It's about our body living into our life differently. So one example is, that I'm just going to think of. There's so many in the book, but something simple, like actually emotion labeling, which um, many people might've heard of. What happens is we primarily want to run away from pain. We feel angry. We feel sad. We feel depressed. We want to just move away from it. I did for sure. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to be in pain. So our body tries to protect us. Right. And the truth is that actually the more we suppress the pain, The more we try to say, I'm not feeling it, or I don't want to feel it, I'm okay, I'll be fine, the more we actually activate our sympathetic nervous system and our stress centers. And so the more we can even even do simple things, like if you're feeling angry, and it's the middle of your workday, and you can't express all of it, because we can't all just process every emotion every day, all day, you might just note it, anger, anger. What happens when we just note it is a couple of things. I think spiritually in the big sense, we give it less power. But -hmm. what happens in our brain is it actually dampens our amygdala, our threat center, that this anger is not a threat. It's just there. We re-engage that prefrontal executive function. So if that makes sense, what I'm saying is there are many, many tools like this that actually allow us to be in our body with our challenge instead of pushing it away. And allow ourselves in our body to say, you know what, I'm okay in this moment, even though I feel angry. Interesting. So just acknowledging
1: how you feel. And then, you know, and so I don't know if you've heard of Abraham Hicks, Mm -hmm. the emotional scale and all that. They talk a lot too about we are meant to feel good. It is our right. We're not here to feel badly. So do the things that make you feel good, you know, and again, that's different, like you're saying for everyone, but leading with feeling and not leading with thought is kind of the current like theme. Hi, it's Dr. Taz here. All right, let's be real. We're going to be honest for a second. It's all about the hair, right? At least that's what I was told by my mother and my mother-in-law when I was losing my hair rapidly. Look. Hair loss is real. It's an epidemic. So many women are suffering from it today, and it can knock out your self-esteem in about five seconds. I've been there getting dressed with the lights off, not wanting to go out, even when I was only in my 20s. Lush Locks is my formula in my product line, the East-West Way, which really addresses hair loss by merging together Eastern and Western medicine, true to the East-West Way philosophy. In Lush Locks, there are methylated B vitamins, magnesium, iron, all of which has been shown to promote healthy hair. But the key is that this particular patented formula also contains the Ayurvedic herbs amla, which have been shown to help regrow hair, improve blood flow to the scalp, and the Chinese herb fo tea, which has been used for centuries in Chinese medicine for hair regeneration and hair regrowth. By putting all of these together with additional micronutrients, Lush Locks is the one supplement I can't live without. In fact, I would take it with me if I was stranded on an island. It works beautifully to help regenerate and regrow hair and prevent further hair loss. I encourage all of you to give Lush Locks a try. In fact, just this month, if you go to theeastwestway.com, type in the code SWW30, you'll get 30% off your purchase of Lush Locks. That includes the supplement along with the shampoo and conditioner. That's also a part of my hair loss line. Look, hair loss is real. It impacts us all. It doesn't have to be that way. Try out Lush Locks, use your code. And don't forget, if you rate and review any episode of the podcast and email me at hello at drtaz.com, I'll send you a free bottle of Lush Locks or Boost. You get to choose. Just make sure you email me and we'll take it from there. What do you feel like folks could do maybe on a daily basis to tap into feeling? Acknowledging emotions is one. What is another tool that you would potentially
0: recommend? One big one is breath, honestly. Mm. It's so simple. But breath, as you know very well, and I've heard you talk about just activating your parasympathetic nervous system and really giving your vagus nerve and your body, your nervous system sends more information to your brain than vice versa, right? So giving your brain the sense that I'm okay, I'm safe. But I think there's more to breath than just that. It's saying to yourself, I can start over any moment. It's saying to yourself, I'm here to create space for what I am receiving. You know, it's why I tell patients all the time, let's take a breath for a moment to just receive what you just said so that I can receive it, so that we can just note what's most potent right now for us to take care of. You know, the breath is so simple, but so powerful. Self-compassion practice. You know, I mean, I could go on and on, but these things actually get us back into our body and acknowledge our humanity Mm. and acknowledge the fact that we are supposed to have challenging emotions. That is not a failing of ourselves. That is not a We are not tough enough or strong enough. That is what we are supposed to feel. And when we do feel them, they are potent messengers from our body. We are sad because we love. We are angry because we care. You know, all of that. So it's not that you need to note all of those into positive things right away. In fact, I don't believe in that. But noting the challenging things as positive things is another whole level, right? So, when I'm really sad, I mean, I'm really sad and I cry and I scream and I'm upset and I feel like I've been wronged. And now, because I have such a strong joy practice, I also know I can feel it in my body, but this will expand me into another place that I need to go. Maybe not today, but I'll get there.
1: That says so wise and so telling. You know, you have a micro picture of the exam room and personal stories and stuff like that, right? But you also have a macro picture. How do you feel like the inability to tap in and to understand that joy is kind of our right, feeling good is a right, one that we have to claim? How does that play into like the mental health crisis, the addiction crisis, homelessness, some of these bigger picture issues that we're facing as a country and as a civilization today? What's happening there? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, for again, another five podcasts, Sorry. Right? no, they're such good questions. I love they're, your
1: opinion. I want to know what you have to say. I would
0: say one thing that I see in the micro and the macro is that there's a big stigma around the sense that if you don't feel better yet, there must be something wrong, something mm-hmm. you're not doing you're not moving your body enough. You're not meditating. You're not accepting what you have in abundance. I mean, I could go on and on, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and just if we could note that there are real life problems yeah. and that we are all doing our best, but when we actually impose on another person the resilience that we think they need to have, rather than understanding that their resilience is getting up every day and doing this dang thing again, then you know we're imposing a system on them that is also oppressive. So Mm -hmm. now they're fighting the mental health issues that they have and they're fighting the oppression of society that tells them they need to be over it. Yeah. Well, how do we
1: help them though? Whether you're in a family dynamic or you're in a community dynamic, right? How do you help the person who's struggling? How do you help the person who's angry all the time? How do you help the person who's sad all the time? How do you help the person who is, you know, Oblivious all the time. How do you tap in? Because many of the folks listening on the show were mothers, right, or were sisters, or were wives, or were you know cousins. But we usually take care of somebody. I can guarantee you, every single person listening is taking care of at least five people, probably more, right? Yeah. So, and I've done that arc too, having teenagers—the fourteen and fifteen-year-old—and I've been married now for almost nineteen years, right? So again, seeing my journey through all of that, you know, first with the anxiety of youth, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, they're not doing this. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You know, like just hearing my own buzzing in my head to like Mm. having a few fallouts with each of them on different issues and being like, okay, they have to be in charge of their own destiny. There's only so much I can put my hand down, right? And to now being like, how do I lead? How do I lead by example? How do I lead not by voice, but by look or action or empathy or compassion? What is helpful and what is enabling, especially when you're talking about children, you know? So what would you say to all of us out there who are trying to help people who are stuck in an emotional pattern? They can't access joy. How do you help that person get,
0: you know, move that energy through? Yeah. Well, there's a few big points here. I think that I would say one is that It takes a lot of work for that person and there's a lot of professionals needed. And so I would not discount that. I don't think any one of us would be the only one to help anyone who's stuck. So I do want to make that sort of sense for people to understand that it's good to have a team and we should all have a team and no one person is going to fix everything for you. At the same time, what I would say is that we all have people in our lives we love, like you're saying, who are stuck and we want to be the best support to them possible. I would say to start with this understanding that not only do we want to run away from our pain, but we want to run away from their pain. We want to fix it so fast. We just want it to be okay. Now take the example you said, just because it was the last one of being a mother to children. Yeah. We, We just want to make it okay. We don't want them to suffer. Right. The truth is though, is that the more we don't see their suffering, acknowledge it and hold it with them, the more we try to fix it quickly and wrap it up, the more we're saying to them implicitly and explicitly that this is a human failing to feel this. Mm. And so the more we can say, that sounds hard. That sounds really like a struggle. Mm -hmm. I feel like I can remember times I've struggled like that. I don't know what you're feeling, but I am willing to be in here with it, with you and to help you in any way I can. You know, instead of, I'm going to give you the opposite, which is that I often get people saying, at least you don't have Mm -hmm. this. At least you have two other children. Mm -hmm. At least, you know, or I can't imagine what you're going through. Now, it all comes from love. Right. And at the same time, if we all try to imagine a little more each other's pain, not saying we understand it, but I'm here to sit with it with you the more we try to imagine it, that's a bridge to not only the other person, but to our own pain. And so it becomes this sort of, can we change as a society to say that pain is uncomfortable, but I'm here with you in it. I like that. That's a much softer, more
1: empathetic almost yeah. approach, right? Like I'm sitting next to you, not trying to be in front of you. I think that's the difference. Like,
0: And I don't know, I mean, you probably we haven't had this talk, but we've talked about our cultures a lot and they're very, you know, we're both South Asian and I'll tell you in our culture, at least in my family culture, in my community culture, you fix that stuff and you get, you buck oh, up yeah. and oh, you yeah. feel better fast. And yeah, there are I- no
1: counselors and therapists and CBT and hypnosis. Whereas, you know, let's flip it though, like to the community that I'm in currently, Like most moms are running around trying to fix things, right? There are multiple counselors and multiple, you know, it's like the other extreme, right? Yes, you're right. So, so yeah, like while our community came and worked their butts off and there wasn't really time or space to entertain, you know, how you're feeling, how you're feeling was not relevant, basically. That's how we were raised. How you're feeling is completely irrelevant to how you're functioning in the world, right? And then, you know, then we become parents. And so trying to unlearn that and learn very quickly that how people feel is kind of a big deal. (laughs) You know, it kind of matters in relationships and even in your work culture, it really matters. And I'll go back to being, you know, a businesswoman. It matters with your team. How do they feel? You know, you can sit there and rationalize all you want. Like I do this for you and I do that and I do this, but how are they feeling? Yes. And that's the question we have to keep coming back to over and over again without trying to fix stuff. I exactly. think exactly that, that is the dynamic that most women I think struggle with because we feel and we are trying to feel, but we want to fix. And yes. at some point I think we have to realize there's, that's just not
0: our responsibility. You know, we can't do it all. We can't, nobody can. Nobody can, but also, and and then another nuance of that, that I've been learning as a mother over the last couple of decades is not only can I not fix everything for them, but I also have to show them that I don't fix all my stuff so fast either. So, you know, I tell them when I'm sad, I tell them when something's hard you know, it's a fine line, right? I don't want them to have to take care of me. But I also show them that, you know, I'm only human, right? And if they never see me have a hard time, then how would they feel comfortable telling me they're having a hard time? Right. And so I really try to sort of balance that.
1: Yeah, I love that. Oh, my gosh, so much great advice. Any (laughs) other tools or tips in your book? Tell us about the book. When's the book coming out or is it already out? And- it comes out
0: May 2nd. You can okay. pre order it on my website or on my social media pages. And yeah. And, you know, I really what I hope people will get from the book in the biggest way I call I feel like a joy activist. I'm so evangelical about it. But I love it. Is that joy is really a way to hold the pain and you don't have to wait for the pain to be resolved. You don't have to wait for your trauma to be healed. Actually, the way to heal and the way to hold everything is to understand that you have a right to feel expansive and joyful, even in the small moments, whether that's in a breath, a walk in nature, whether it's a nurturing hand, whether it's a piece of gratitude, whatever it is for you is to understand that that practice is available to you always.
1: I love that. And I think it's so important for everyone to remember that because I think there's something about the formula of success that says it has to be painful to be successful. And if we're not feeling pain or uncomfortable or sweating or whatever it is, then we're not accomplishing, right? And I think that's what's been handed down, especially to us, probably to many people in particular. But I think that's the the wiring that has to be undone.
0: So, yes, oh my
1: goodness, this is so great! How do people find you? What, give us your website. Yeah. Um, so, how um, everything order- is
0: my full name, Tanmitzati MD. So, my URL is TMD.com. All my social handles are tanmitzatiMD, so they can find me there. Yeah.
1: Perfect. I'm going to spell it for you guys just to make sure. I figured you would. (laughs) T-A-N-M-E-E-T-S-E-T-H-I-M-D. Oh my gosh. So good to see you again. I'm sending you a big hug over the airwaves here. Um, And I hope to see you in person soon. And for everyone else watching and listening to us, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Superwoman Wellness. And our charge to you is to tap into your joy,